On April the 15th, 2013, 23,336 well-trained, prepared, determined athletes from all 50 states and 92 different countries set out to endure the trials of one of the world's most well-known marathons of all time. And this was the Boston Marathon. Lalisa Desia of Ethiopia, who was the first male finisher, finished this 26.2 mile trek with a time of two hours, 10 minutes, and 22 seconds. Rita Jeptu of Kenya, the first female finisher, finished this course with a time of two hours, 26 minutes, and 25 seconds. At exactly two hours, at exactly 2.49 p.m., race clock time of four hours, nine minutes, and 43 seconds, utter pandemonium occurs. There's an explosion. It's a bomb. 12 seconds later, there's another explosion. Three spectators were killed. 264 people were reported as injured. 17 of those were reported to be in critical condition, and 14 required amputations. Innocent American lives, innocent citizens, had been attacked once again. These 23,336 athletes trained to endure the rigors of a 26.2-mile race, but I'm sure they never would have imagined they would have to endure the trials that they faced that fateful Monday afternoon. But in light of all of the devastation that occurred, our nation showed what it truly meant to endure. We hunted the enemy, we attacked the enemy, we captured the enemy, and we kept moving forward. And this morning, I just want to let you know that this is life. This is life. Right now, life may be perfect, we're healthy, our family's healthy, we're working, our kids are great, Everything's going good. Things couldn't get better. And 12 seconds later, there's an explosion. We may lose our spouse, leaving us to be the sole provider. We may find out that our husband, who has passed away, didn't save like he should have, causing us to have to sell our nice, lavish house and move into a cheap hotel. Not only that, the kids who we've raised, they may have fallen away from the Lord. They don't want to have anything to do with God, the church, or anything like that. These explosions happen each and every day of our lives. And I believe times like this is what James, the brother of Jesus, was speaking of when he penned James chapter 1, and verse number 2. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect results, that you may be fully complete, lacking nothing. Then he'll drop down in verse 12, and he'll say, Blessed is the man who has remained steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. We see, brethren, when, when James was writing this, he was talking to Christians who were truly suffering. And it, it's hard to, to really wrap our minds around what it means to suffer as a Christian today, because we're so blessed. We have all of these luxuries. But during this time, Christians 
were really going through something. They were being persecuted. They were being tormented. They were being thrown in prison. They were being dragged out of their homes. They were being sawn in two, all for this cause of Christ, all for this gospel, which we still preach, and which we still believe in today. So when James talks about persevering, when he talks about remaining steadfast, when he talks about being patient, he's not talking about patiently enduring traffic on 65 South. He's not talking about remaining steadfast in line for food at a potluck. No. He's talking about patiently enduring, remaining steadfast in these bombs, these trials of life that, that come about each and every day. How do we remain steadfast? How do we persevere? Well, this morning I'm reminded of one who remains steadfast when these explosions occurred in his life. And I'm thinking about Job. His story can be found, of course, in the book of Job. And we'll begin this morning in Job chapter 1. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. I always enjoy coming here. I thank you all for inviting me back a third time. Uh, I'm a trainee at the Jackson Heights Church of Christ, if you don't know. So any opportunity that I have to come speak is always a blessing. And uh, hopefully we can all learn something today and say that it was good to be here. So Job chapter 1, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would sin and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So we see here in this text that Job was an awesome person. He had all of these possessions, all of this livestock. He had all of these blessings. He was known as the greatest man in all of the East. Job's like many of us here today. We're thoroughly blessed. We have great reputations in the community. And God has truly touched our lives, just like we see here with Job. And not only that, Job loved and cared for his children deeply. We see that his sons and his daughters would often have these huge, lavish feasts where there would be eating and drinking. And when the days of feast were over, Job would offer sacrifices on behalf of his children just to ensure that their possible sins were atoned for. Likewise, many of us are just like Job in that same regards. We love and care for our children deeply. We'll do anything to make sure that they get to heaven. We send them to Christian schools, Christian camps. We carefully monitor what they say, what they do, where they go. We do all of these things to make sure that our children are taken care of and are loved and are blessed. Our lives are great. Our children's lives are wonderful. Everything is well. But little do we know, the devil may be planning something. He may be planning an attack. So let's continue with this story of Job and see what happened to him. We'll 
We'll begin reading in Job chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Job chapter 1, starting in verse number 6. The Bible says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear you for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house, and that all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So here we see God and Satan are having this conversation. And God asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He's an upright man, blameless. He fears me. He turns away from evil. Satan responds to the Lord and says, well, does Job fear you for no reason? You've blessed him with all of these things, all of this wealth, all of this, all of these possessions, livestock, family. You've given him all of these things. But I bet you, Lord, if you take away everything that Job has, he'll curse you to your face. God says, okay, Satan, we'll see. I'll let you try Job, but just don't take away his life. At this point, the bombs begin you may be sitting there asking, why in the world would God allow Satan to, to, to torment this wonderful, perfect, godly man, Job? He's, he's the man. He's the greatest person in all of these. Why is God allowing this to happen? Well, the very simple answer to this is godliness, prosperity, well-beings, and blessings. All of those things do not grant us immunity from experiencing these bombs of life. They don't grant us immunity from experiencing these trials that come about in our lives. We see here that God wants to make sure Job feared him, worshipped him for a reason. So when we experience different trials and tribulations in our lives, maybe it's God's way of, of testing us to see if our faith is real, to see if we fear him for a reason. So, what happened after the Lord allowed Satan to test Job? We'll see that. Picking up in Job chapter 1 and verse 13. This is Satan's first attack. Job chapter 1 and verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, 
There came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell among the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you imagine what was going on in Job's mind at this point? His whole perfect world was literally collapsing before him in the blink of an eye. These messengers are telling him that all of his servants, his livestock, all of his possessions have been attacked, looted, burned up, and destroyed. But to top it all off, these children, these children whom he loved so very much, whom he made so many sacrifices on behalf, ten children have all been blown away in this terrible natural disaster. Have you ever felt this way in your life? I'm sure we all have. Our whole perfect world was, was just collapsing right in front of our eyes. Everything is perfect until, until your loved one passes away. Everything is perfect until you lose your job and you can't put food on the table. Everything is perfect. You've been trying years to have children. You're eight months into your pregnancy. Finally pregnant. Go in for a checkup and you find out that you've had a miscarriage, your child dies. Or maybe you've been blessed to raise good, godly, good children, healthy children, but they're not godly. You've lost them spiritually. They're spiritually dead. They don't want to have anything to do with this. What are you going to do when the bombs of life come? How are you going to react? Let's see how Job reacted. Job chapter 1 starting in verse number 20. After, after Job lost all of his possessions, all of his servants, and all of his children, the Bible says in verse 20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. After Satan's first attack, we see that the first thing that Job did was grieve. He fell on the ground, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he grieved. It's okay to grieve. Separation, loss of material possessions, and death bring tears. They bring grief. King Hezekiah, he grieved when the prophet Isaiah came and told him that he would die at the age of 39. King David grieved when, when God told him that he would lose his, his, his newborn baby. Jesus Christ grieved and wept when he saw Lazarus laying there dead. It's okay to grieve. But through the tears, we have to remain faithful. We have to see God. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. We have to remain faithful. We see Job grieved. What else did he do? He fell on the ground and he worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is the same attitude that we have to have when these bombs of life come and these trials of life come. Recognize that God is the giver and the sustainer of life. We came into this life with nothing, we'll leave this life with nothing. If God has given it to us, he can take it away and we should be content with that because he is God. He's the great I am. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We have to continue to worship. Grieve, but always stay faithful. Always worship. 
that's exactly what we see here with Job. As we continue, Job's situation, it only gets worse. Satan attacks him again, and we see this in Job chapter 2. Look at Job chapter 2 and verse 1. Again. My text says, again. It's happening again. Have you ever felt this way? All of these, these terrible things are happening, then it happens again. Again. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity although you incited him against me against him to destroy him without reason. Job is still faithful to me. Job still worships me despite all of this that you've done to him, despite all of this that you've taken away from him. Remember, you said he would curse me to your face, but no, he is still worshiping me. Verse 4, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. Verse 7, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. After the Lord has taken away all of Job's possessions, all of his servants, all of his children, he takes away his health. He, he, he gives Job these, these loathsome sores from the, the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. And I'll remind you, these are not just small bug bites or, or acne or chicken pox. No, these were painful, embarrassing boils all over his body. Not only does he take away Job's health, but Job has his wife in his ear telling him to simply curse God and die. Give up on God. He's taken away all of your, all of your health, all of your, all of your things. Just give up on God. Curse him to his face. That's what Job's wife tells him. Is that how, is that how we're going to react when God takes away our health or our loved one's health? Are we just going to curse God and die? You may be the star player on your school's football team. It's your senior year. You cut right. You hear a snap. You've torn your ACL. You're out for the season. How's your faith now? You may go in to the doctor's office for a checkup. A doctor tells you that you have kidney failure. You have four months to live. How's your faith in God now? Are you going to give up? Or maybe you're fine and healthy, but you come home from school and your dad comes in your room and tells you that your mother, 52 years old, has stage four breast cancer. and She only has a few months to live. She's going to die. How is your faith now? Are you going to give up on God? Are you going to curse God and die? 
let's see how Job reacted. Job chapter 2, verse 9, verse 10, excuse me. Job said to his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we not receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. You see here, Job tells his wife, to curse God and die is foolishness. When everything was going well in our lives, you were happy and you were content. But when God takes away all that we have, when he takes away our health, you just want to give up on God, that is foolishness. And we often respond to God in the same way. When, when bad things happen in our lives, when things are going well, we're gung-ho for Jesus, gung-ho for evangelism. We're on fire. But when he takes all of our things away, we just want to give up on God. That is foolishness. That's like a, a, a runner who prepares and trains for months and months for a 26-mile race. He gets to mile 25, and he just turns and walks away. Just give up and quit. The Bible tells us the race is not won by the strong or the swift, but by those who endure to the end. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he once said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. We have to keep moving forward. We have to continue to press on toward this, toward this goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on. We'll never be perfect, but we have to reach forward to perfection. The Apostle Paul says he wasn't perfect by any means. He was the chief of sinners, but he pressed on. And when we press on for perfection, we'll receive the prize in the end, the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. These, these bodies that, that we live in have begun become to decay from the time that we're born. None of us are going to live forever. That's just the nature of life. That's the nature of sin. But we have to rest assured that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ will sustain us for all eternity. The Apostle Paul was able to say in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, that who's going to separate us from this love of God? Will tribulation or distress or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written... For your sake, we were being killed all day long. But through all of these things that happen to us in our lives, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him that loved us, through Christ that loved us. And he was able to say, for he is convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from this love of God in Christ Jesus. If we, if we get sick, if our loved one gets sick, if someone dies, none of that matters. None of that will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's why we have to put our faith and confidence in him, despite what happens, continue to endure through these bombs of life. Job eventually saw brighter days. His last days were more blessed than his first. He was blessed twofold. And we see this in Job chapter 42, starting in verse 10. We're going to open up there, Job chapter 42 and verse 10. The Bible says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. 
Then came to him all of his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginnings. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all of the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their fathers gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons for four generations. And Job died an old man full of days. You see here, in the end, Job was blessed abundantly because he remained steadfast during these trials of life, during these bombs of life. The same can be said for us. If we just remain steadfast and persevere and keep going, we'll be blessed in the end. God doesn't want to see us suffering. He doesn't want to see us sad. He doesn't want to see us in despair. But He wants to know whether we fear Him for a reason. Whether we worship Him and serve Him, not because He's given us all of these things, but because we love Him and we are thankful and grateful for the great sacrifice that He made by sending His Son into this cruel crooked, wicked, messed up world that we live in. He wants to know whether we fear him for a reason. The Hebrew writer encourages us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. Hebrews 11 speaks of this hall of fame of the faithful. It's about many men and women who went through far more trials and tribulations and sufferings than we'll ever experience here on this life, but in the end they received their prize. And he goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since we are surrounded by all of these men and women who have endured so much, let us run this race with endurance. Let us put off every weight and sin which so easily entangles us. Run with endurance. Keep going. And look to Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our salvation. And that's the message. That's what it's all about. When we go through these things, look to Jesus, who has suffered far more than we would ever endure, but he was victorious over death after he was put in the ground in the tomb. He rose, and he's now seated at the right hand of God. For that, we can be thankful, and for that, we can be happy. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian. It's possibly because no one has ever told you about this Jesus. Like I said, Jesus Christ was victorious over death, and he's now in heaven. And he wants you to be in his fold. He wants you to be a Christian, but you have to accept him. You accept him by obeying the gospel plan of salvation perfectly laid out in the Bible, hearing the word, believing repenting and turning away from your sins, confessing his name, confessing that he is Lord and Savior, then you can have your sins completely washed away by being buried in the water, watery grave of baptism, rising forth a new creature. If we can help you in any spiritual way, please come to the front while we stand and sing the song of invitation.